That the Earth is warming is now beyond doubt. The evidence is clear and no country is immune. There is massive and widespread devastation back at home. Hundreds of thousands of people have been rendered homeless and the ordeal is far from over. When Nadarev Sanyo, the lead negotiator of the Philippines delegation, broke down during his statement at the climate talks in Doha, it was a poignant reminder of the very human cost of climate change. I appeal to the whole world. I appeal to the leaders from all over the world to open our eyes to the stark reality that we face. The outcome of our work is not about what our political masters want. It is about what is demanded of us by 7 billion people. I appeal to all, please, no more delays, no more excuses. Yet despite his appeals, international negotiators once again failed to forge a global deal to curb greenhouse gases. So why, when they understand the risks, are governments unable to reach agreement? One reason is that none of them want to do anything to jeopardise their country's economic growth. If we now look at happy life years uh, plotted against ecological footprint, it's a different shaped graph. It starts again at bottom left, ends at top right, but rather than simply going up diagonally, it goes up, curves and then flattens and goes along to the right. But what if we use an alternative measure for progress, something other than gross domestic product? One that takes in how happy, healthy and environmentally friendly a nation is, not just how much it produces in goods and services. One of these measures is the Happy Planet Index, produced by the New Economics Foundation. Charles Seaford is head of their wellbeing unit. The Happy Planet Index measures the average number of happy life years of the citizens of a country, divided by the ecological footprint of that country. So that gives you a measure of the efficiency with which that country produces happy life years. So you can see that if the higher your score, the more efficient that a country is at producing good lives. Scores range from zero, the worst, to 100. To get a perfect score, a country should have high levels of life satisfaction and life expectancy, as well as a small ecological footprint. But a country could score relatively well if its citizens are, for example, very happy and use a moderate amount of natural resources, like the Dominican Republic, or if its citizens are just moderately happy but use very few resources, like Egypt. I'm looking at a map of the world here, and this is all the different countries, 151 countries, Happy Planet Index scores. So Australia, 42. America, 37.3, that's pretty low. A lot of these sub-Saharan African countries are not looking great. Congo, 34.5. USA, 37.3. Canada, 43. How do you think a well-being approach can help with the problem of climate change? The more stuff we produce, the more carbon emissions we produce, the higher the gross domestic product of any country, the higher the level of carbon emissions. This is a problem because we want to reduce carbon emissions, but we want to increase gross domestic product. So we appear to be facing an impossible situation. What do we do? Well, one thing that we can do is to try and make the economy not just more carbon efficient, but what I would call more well-being efficient. That's to say, for any given level of output, produce more well-being, make people happier, give people more fulfilled lives. Because in the end, we only want GDP because it produces 
good lives. That's why we want to increase GDP. If we can increase the well-being efficiency, we don't have to have quite as much GDP for any given level of well-being. This makes the trade-off between well-being now and sustainability less acute. Tanzania, 30.7. Mozambique, 35. South Africa, 28. South Africa's very low, so life expectancy only 52 years there in South Africa. Gosh, that's incredibly low. Experienced well-being is 4.7, so have low life expectancy, low levels of experienced well-being, a moderate ecological footprint. One thing the figures show is that countries which are more equal do better in terms of resources used. People seem to be more predisposed to care about the environment there, as Richard Wilkinson Professor of Epidemiology at Nottingham University explains. Because social life, social cohesion, how much people trust each other, is damaged by greater inequality, people are less concerned with the public good. They are less public-spirited in more unequal societies. And you can look, for instance, at surveys of business leaders' opinions and the priorities they give to environmental issues and you see that in more equal societies, business leaders think those environmental issues are more important. They give them higher priorities. Whereas I think in more unequal societies, there is a sense that, you know, that's not our job. We have to fend for ourselves. Uh, that's for the government. And so businesses do less about those kind of issues. So which country comes out top on the Happy Planet Index? Austrians, I think, pretty high up there. I used to work out there, and they're pretty on it when it comes to recycling. Japan, Switzerland. <laughs> I would imagine places like New Zealand and Canada are quite high. They're seen as quite clean places with quite a moral attitude towards the environment and being, you know, a friendly atmosphere. No, none of those. Third place goes to Colombia. Then comes Vietnam. And the country with the highest score of 64 is Costa Rica. Are you surprised? Uh, very. <laughs> yeah. I'd never have guessed Colombia and Costa Rica. No. No. Surprised? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really surprised, yeah. From travelling there and seeing the amount of rubbish and stuff that's around, well, I guess the amount of rubbish in comparison to all the yeah. pollution, it's still a higher amount of pollution. Why Costa Rica? Well, Costa Rica, like many... Latin American countries scores well, probably because Latin America has very good social networks. The family plays an important part. Also, they're middle-income countries where the worst problems of poverty don't apply. So you can go to African countries tend to come very low on the list because we have much more serious problems of poverty. Costa Rica does particularly well uh, because it's got a very strong and, and has had a strong environmental policy for quite a long time. And it doesn't have an army, it uses its resources in a very efficient way. The United Nations predictions for the population on the planet around 2100 are for around 9, 10 or 11 billion, which sounds like a very large number. Whatever people are thinking and however predisposed they may be to sustainability, do we really have the resources to cope with such a number? Danny Dawling, Professor of Geography at Oxford University believes we do. People worry that with 9, 10 or 11 billion people on the planet, we won't be able to feed ourselves, we won't be able to find enough water for ourselves, we won't be able to find enough materials to make the kind of goods we need. 
some of these problems are bigger than others. Uh, when it comes to food, this is much less of a problem because human beings can only consume a certain amount of food before it begins to make them ill if they consume too much. It will be a far more difficult problem. If, if, if the rich could consume ten times more food than the poor, we w- would have a problem, but we don't. We currently waste half our food in the rich parts of the world and in the poor parts of the world half of it is eaten by pests and so on before it actually gets to people. So feeding the planet is not an insolvable problem, particularly if people eat less meat, um, which requires far more grain to feed the animals that we eat. When it comes to things like water, that's slightly more tricky, but water is, by definition, renewable. When it comes to material goods made from rarer elements, that's trickier, but it involves things like catalytic converters on cars and whether we'll be able to carry on making those. But in the future world, to be sustainable, we need fewer people driving cars. So I think you can be optimistic, if you like, and you can look at each of these problems and say, often with current technology, if we were to behave better, these problems are surmountable. The key question is, are we capable of behaving better? Most people, when you ask them, feel that they are behaving better already. In the last decade, the UK experienced the fastest rise in recycling rates of any European nation. What things do you do to kind of help with the environment? Uh, Just recycling, packaging and walking rather than doing short car journeys and things like that. Um, I do try to walk as much as possible and I did try to use public transport to where I work but it actually takes two different bus routes so I actually felt like it was quicker and easier to use my car but I did consider it and try alternatives. Um, Well we do all the recycling with the rubbish. Oh yeah I used environmentally friendly detergents as well. Britain's CO2 emissions have come down sharply in the past two decades, but when emissions generated by the production of the UK's imports are factored in, the country's carbon footprint is actually 10% higher than in 1993. The fact is, we consume too much stuff, even though research suggests it doesn't make us happy. Richard Wilkinson again. We must find ways of increasing the amount of leisure we have, of uh, moving towards more democratic employment structures. Uh, So there are lots of ways in which we can improve the quality of our life through social change, which also takes the heat out of materialism and consumerism. And in that way, we can make very substantial improvements in the real quality of our lives. Would you give up the car? Yes, if public transport meant I could get around still difficult we live in a village so not really Um. how about the phone would you give up your phone house phone or mobile phone (laughs) your mobile i don't think i could now but how does britain perform on the happy planet index we score 47.9 out of 100 so just above morocco and below moldovia putting us in at 41st place are you optimistic for the future well, I think that, yes, I am, I am. You can't do the kind of job I do unless you're optimistic for the future. I think that there's an increasing understanding of the kind of policies that are needed. There's also an increasing understanding that it's possible to do something. You know, there is this sense that everything is hopeless, that you can't do anything, globalisation, international markets, capital markets, and we just sort of surrender to the forces of chaos. And actually, it's not necessary to take that view. It's quite possible to take the view that things can be done and therefore will be done. The Open University. For more information, go to www.open.edu.
www.edu.edu forward slash iTunes U.